going to dive right into our sermon for today. Um, we have uh, just one, two quick announcements. We started up our Saturday morning prayer services uh, at 7 a.m., so if you're able to make it out, please do that. We pray for some of the concerns of the church as well as just give you some private time of prayer. But we also have a time of worship, and there's a short a message, like a 10 to 15-minute message that's given at the beginning there. Um, also, secondly, uh, we have a Bible study that's actually starting today. Uh, I'm not going to be teaching it, but uh, it'll happen actually during our 12 p.m. service, our third service. And so if you're interested in that, it's actually in room 101. Uh, it's on the men's uh, restroom side, straight down the, the last room there at the end. If you want to just read the Bible with uh, some, some people as well as uh, uh, have some insights from a couple named Paul and Monica Brockway. They love scripture. They love the Bible. Uh, and they would love to share some of their insights with you as well. So it's just a good time for you to read the Bible together and also hear some insights uh, from teachers that I trust, uh, Paul and Monica. And so uh, please consider going out to that, uh, especially if you don't have a community group. I think it's a fantastic way for you to uh, find community and also be able to uh, just get to know one another in that way. Well, we've started a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs called The Wisdom of Work. We're talking all about work and and because work makes up a majority of our lives. I mean, think about it, right? I, I mentioned this last week, but one-third of our lives are dedicated to work. Um, and that's roughly 90,000 hours dedicated of our lives to this thing called work. And so we want to talk about it uh, from the pulpit and really disciple you in this way. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is this aspect of success. Um, and I thought, it would be, uh, I, I thought it would be helpful to kind of introduce this subject because uh, when we think about work, that's probably the first thing that we think about. Whereas how do I become successful? How do I actually do this thing? And so if you're new here and you're thinking, well, the title of our sermon today is How to Be Successful Part 1, it's not what you think it is, okay? If you know anything about my preaching, right, I'm not like this prosperity gospel preacher who's going to teach, teach you how to make millions of dollars. But uh, what we want to do today is look at what the Bible has to say about this topic of success. So at this time, if you're able to, would you open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1? We're going to be looking at uh, sort of four, four to five different splattered verses. So if, at this time, if you're able to, would you rise? Uh, we're going to look at Proverbs 1, uh, verse 7, and then verse 29, and then verse 31, and then we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, okay? So if you don't have your Bibles, you can't jump around that much. It'll be right up there on the screens for you, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll read this for us. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could re all respond with thanks be to God, we do this out of honor and reverence, okay? This is the reading of God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, uh, verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, 5, if you seek it like silver and search for it as, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then I'll seat you afterwards. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Would you give us wisdom? A lot, a lot of wisdom. You say in James chapter 1 that if we ask, you will pour out to us. And so we do ask for your wisdom. We ask for wisdom upon me and the preaching of this word, and we ask for wisdom in our congregation. Lord, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, we have, <clears throat> we have three points, okay? First point is called what is success, okay? And um, uh, if you're listening to this on podcast, uh, we're spelling that S-U-C-K-C-E-S-S. Uh, and then our second point is what is success, and then third, how to be successful. Now, the first point is really going to define uh, uh, the, sort of, if you would, the sucky way of, of, of doing success, or, you know, I, I thought maybe of entitling something like false success, but, uh, you know, I decided this, okay? So let's go ahead and dive into our first point. What is success, okay? 
Uh, let me ask you, what, what is success to you? Let's first define this term. I think it's important for us to define it. Uh, success is really interesting because it's not a, an objective reality, right? It's subjective. If I talk to each and every single one of you, you may give me a different answer of what success means to you. And that's exactly the point. And so here's the definition that I sort of came up with, and it's this, achieving our ultimate goal. It's very simple. You have a goal in life, and you're trying to achieve it. And so uh, you might, you might want to, uh, we, we can put it like this, right? If I got blank, then I'd be satisfied and happy with my life. This is what success really is for us. And here's the thing, here's the tricky thing about goals, right? A lot of us don't walk through life stating our goals out loud. Like we don't walk around saying like, I wanna make as much money as humanly possible. Right? We don't walk around saying, I wanna be as famous as humanly possible. Uh, what, what more oftentimes happens is that we live our lives in such a way actually that the then defines our goals. And so uh, w- one of the things that I thought was really interesting is when I was studying psychology in college, um, a lot, one of my psych professors said this, she said that, um, it's, it's not helpful to ask uh, people self-reporting questions in psych research. Uh, in other words, for example, right, if you ask somebody, hey, are you racially biased? Everyone's gonna say, no, I'm not racially biased, I'm not a racist. But if you give them an implicit bias test, right, you can observe their behaviors and what we've seen from these tests is that a lot of people are indeed racially biased. And so you see, we don't wanna observe what we self-report about things, we wanna observe our behaviors and how we actually live our lives. And so more than asking yourself this question, my suggestion, right, for you to define success in your own life is this. What are the kinds of stories that you find yourself in? What are some of the stories that really intrigue you? What are the stories that you find yourselves right in the middle of? These are the stories that we tell ourselves, and these are the stories that really bring us interest. Let me give you an example from my own life, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here, okay, so don't judge me, all right? Uh, Very recently, I was listening to a podcast uh, and uh, it, it's a pastor's podcast, and they were interviewing this one pastor because uh, his church just grew like crazy overnight. Uh, and here's his story. His story was this, right? He was 26 years old when he became the lead pastor of a church that was about 350 or so people. Um, he started off in the tech booth when he was like 21 years old. He just did sound. He did all these th- things, right? Uh, but soon enough, like, he kind of got promoted. And then at this church, uh, the lead pastor who planted the church uh, was retiring, and so he thought, I'm gonna hand the church over to this guy, to this young guy, 26 years old. This guy takes over, he pastors for several years, the church doesn't grow. The church is stagnant, right? Some people are coming in, some people are leaving. Some people are coming in, some people are leaving. And then one day he preaches a sermon. And this sermon is taken by this young girl and she cuts it up into a clip, a two minute clip, and she puts it on her Twitter. And then all of a sudden, this Twitter gets picked up like crazy. It gets two million views within 48 hours. And then overnight, Right, overnight, uh, their YouTube channel, this church's YouTube channel just starts blowing up. They, they had maybe like 300 subscribers, then they had 10,000 subscribers, and then they had 20,000. And then soon enough, their churches were just, their churches started filling up with people. It went from 350 to 1,000 to 2,000 uh, within a matter of months. Within a matter of years now, it's now up to probably somewhere up, upwards of 15,000 people. They actually just recently bought a stadium to hold all the people that come to their church. It seats about 4,500 people, okay? I'm listening to this story, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. What if that happened to me? What if I preach a sermon? What if it goes viral? What if all these people, right? I find myself in the middle of this story, and I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder what he did to get there. That's literally my question in my head. What did he do to get there? And I know for each and every single one of us here, there's a story like that. There's a story that we find ourselves in the middle of. 
right, there's a story that we tell ourselves or there's a story that we find very, very intriguing. Maybe is it the story of an overnight celebrity who goes from nothingness to stardom? Is it the story of a person who put everything they had into a digital coin and then made a fortune? By the way, that's a true story, okay? There's this guy named uh, Glauber Contessoto. He put everything he had into a coin called Dogecoin. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, okay? He put Dogecoin, I, I, I don't know too much about the digital coins, but apparently Dogecoin is a, uh, is a joke coin, okay? It's, it's not like sort of this real thing. It's, it's sort of a joke, but anyhow, he put all of his money into it, and he made, he turned $250,000 uh, he put in $180,000 of his savings, and then he borrowed $70,000 uh, against margin, and then he invested $250,000, and it grew from $250 to $2 million within a matter of days. Is that your story? What stories intrigue you? What stories do you find yourself in the middle of, and that is your goal? That is your definition of success. And for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, which is why I was honest with you, even with my own ideas of success, I want you to be brutally honest with yourselves. Does success equal money? Right? Does success equal being able to tell people you have a great career because everyone was a naysayer while you had nothing? But look at you now. Look at me now. Look at how great I am. Is success equal having a particular kind of lifestyle where you have a family with two kids, beautiful wife, beautiful husband, right? nice house, beautiful car? right? For many young people today, success actually equals fame sort of interesting. I want you to listen to this article that I recently came across. It's by a guy named Benedict uh, Carey. It was written a while ago, but this is still true for us today. Listen to what he says. For most of its existence, the field of psychology has ignored fame as a primary motivator of human behavior. So we didn't really care too much about fame. It was considered too shallow, too culturally, and uh, too culturally variable, too often mingled with other motives to be taken seriously. But in recent years, a small number of social scientists have begun to study and think about fame in a different way, ranking it with other goals, measuring its psychological effects, characterizing its devoted seekers. People with an overriding desire to be widely known to strangers are different from those who primarily covet wealth and influence. So it's different than influence, okay? This is purely fame. Their fame-seeking behavior appears rooted in the desire for social acceptance a longing for the existential reassurance promised by wide renown. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent here, but, uh, but I'll, I'll come full circle back to this fame thing. Uh, I was listening to another podcast by a social psychologist named Jean Twenge, and she recently wrote a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, and Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Very long title. <laughs> uh, but in this interview, she details this really fascinating thing that's happening. Kids today, teens today, are actually much safer. They don't take as many risks. They're not getting drunk. They're not going out and partying. Uh, they're not fighting. They're not having uh, random sexual encounters as much as before. They're, they're way, way, way safer. And yet what she's noticed is that these internal core things are actually deteriorating. So things like anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, uh, self-harm, these kinds of things are on the rise. And she points primarily to technology. If you look at 2012, you see all of a sudden this exponential growth in uh, suicidal ideation, uh, self-harm, all of these things, right, skyrocketed in 2012. And guess what happens in 2012? That's the same year where the iPhone as well as social media become uh, uh, accessible to everyday children. And so she sees the connection between technology, social media, phones, and depression, anxiety, and all this stuff, right? And listen to what she says in this interview. Teens are now much less likely to hang out with their friends. They're not hanging out with their friends. 
to go to parties, to go out, uh, to, to go out without their parents. It's a, if it's a, about face-to-face -face social interaction, it started to decline around 2000, but only a little bit, but then again, right around 2012. That can be great for physical safety because they're not out driving around with their friends, getting in car accidents, and they're not hitting each other, right? So she's saying this, look, you understand that these kinds of uh, you know, riskier behaviors come out of community? These are community-oriented behaviors, right? If you remember when you were a teenager, right, you used to do really stupid things because somebody egged you on, right? Hey, man, I dare you to eat that whole box of pizza by yourself, right? I dare you to jump over that table, right? I dare you to drive super, right? We're doing all these crazy things in the context of community. And yet, listen to what she goes on to say. But it's also not great for mental health to be stuck in your room only, communicating with your friends via text or Instagram or TikTok. You can stay in touch with your friends constantly, and that seemingly keeps you connected but it is not as good for mental health as actually being in the same room with your friends. You see what she's saying? We're connecting with each other in these technological ways. We're not in the same rooms as each other anymore. And because of this, these things like self-harm, suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, all of these things are actually linked to things of isolation. We're more isolated than we ever have been ever before. And this is why fame is skyrocketing in my opinion because we don't feel loved, we don't feel accepted, and so we're trying to find these things in other places. We're trying to, f we, our teenagers and young people are lonelier than ever, and because of that, they desire to be famous, to be noticed, to be wanted, to be loved, to walk into a place and to have others care about what they're doing, even, though, even what they had for lunch. That's what they want these days. They wanna be famous, they wanna be loved. Look, this is a side note, but this is the church's greatest evangelistic moment, in my opinion. In this digital age, we are closer to the matrix reality than we are reality itself. And, and I think in this, age, in this day and age where we're so digital, I think the church offers something so crucial, and that is this. It's simple. It's belonging. Right? One pastor puts it like this. You can belong even before you believe. In other words, what we, what we Christians believe, if you're not a Christian here today, I'll, I'll tell you what we believe as Christians. We believe this, that even though you don't believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that's okay. You're welcome to church. Like, even though you don't believe what we believe, that's okay. We will still love you and accept you as one of our own. That you belong here even before you believe. That we're not defined by our intimacy because of what we believe. We're not defined because of the, we can disagree with you, but we will still love the heck out of you. And so if you're in a place of isolation, loneliness, or depression, come to the church. This is what we have to offer. We're a place of belonging, loving, acceptance, love, and nurture. But look, here's the problem. Let's go back to success now. Here's the problem with these notions of, of success, right? Fame, money, these kinds of things. And it's a glaring one. We all know. How much is enough? How much? Um, let's go back to Glauber Contesoto, right? The guy who invested in Dogecoin. Let me go back to that story a little bit. Do you know why he invested into Dogecoin? His initial goal was to buy a house. That was it. He, but then he made $2 million, and guess what? Now he doesn't even want to let it go. Um, uh, I listened to a podcast where uh, Glauber Contesoto was uh, featured, and uh, listen to what the interviewer asks him, okay? It's very interesting. He says this, I guess a lot of people in your situation would say, he's talking to Glauber, right? This is the interviewer. Okay, I made this bet. It paid off. Now I'm going to take some money off the table. I'm going to make sure I have enough money to buy a house, and I'll keep some money in maybe. But I'm, but I'm going to have a little security in case it does crash, in case it does turn out to be a bubble. But you didn't do that. Why? Why didn't he pull out the money? Listen to what Contesoto says. I know this is not the best example, but 
if you could buy into Amazon when it was $10 a share, would you have sold it when it hit 20? Or when it hit 200? No, you wouldn't. The interviewer goes on to say this. Listen to what the interviewer says. He doesn't, that's Glover, he doesn't want to miss out on the gains he would make if Dogecoin goes to $1, $2, or $5. See, Dogecoin right now are, is just a, a couple of cents. But if it were to go to a dollar, $2, $5, imagine what he could make. He could pull it out at any time. Even right now, I guess Dogecoin has gone down, right? I think at some point he had $700,000. Now it's kind of gone up a little bit. Now he has like a million. It's like going up and down every single day, but he's holding on to it. Even though he has enough to pull out, buy a house to accomplish his goals. But in his mind, here's the reality. What if Dogecoin goes to a dollar? What if it goes to five? What if, what if I could become a trillionaire? And I missed out on that opportunity. You see that? It's never enough. And I know you guys know this feeling. You might have sold some stock. You might have sold some Bitcoin. And the next day, it skyrockets. You're like, darn it. It's never enough. You might have made hundreds, if not thousands of dollars from it skyrocketing. And you sold, and yet you're not happy. Isn't that what money's supposed to do? Isn't that the myth, right? Money makes you happy. And yet you, you sell it, and you're still, even though you've made money, you're still not happy. Why? Because it's gone up. It's never enough. Fame, money, success, the size of your house, it's never, ever enough. We want more and more and more. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15 to 16 says, all right? I love this. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Shale, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying our hearts are like leeches. Just give, give, take, take, take. It's never enough. Money is never enough. Fame is never enough. The things of this world are never enough. We always think there could be more out there. So let's move on to what is success. That is success. Now, what is true success? If those things will never satisfy, what does the Bible say about success? What is it? Okay. Now, finally, we, let's go into our passage. All right? We've been sort of pushing the passage off to the side, but let's dive into the passage now. Look at chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, okay? If you seek it, okay, like silver, and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Whatever this, this wisdom writer is talking about right now, he's saying search for this like it's silver. Search for this like it's money. Search for this like it's fame. Uh, the, the, this proverb was, was most likely written during a time where silver was actually more precious than gold, which is why he's talking about silver here. Uh, and yet what happened back in those days is that you would have to bury your treasures in order to keep it safe. There were no vaults. There was no ring doorbell. There was no security systems. In order to protect your finances, what you did was you, 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 you dug a deep hole and you buried it so no one would know where it is. And even if they could find it, it would take them a long, long time to dig it up. And he's saying, look, you got to go out and find treasure like that. Imagine if you're a thief and you're trying to steal from someone. You, thieves had to work really hard. They had to dig and dig and dig and dig. And even if you did know that there was a land, a piece of land that did have hidden treasure, well, then you'd buy that land, and then you'd go and you'd try to dig and find that treasure in the land, but it took a lot of hard work. And this is what Bruce Watke, he's a biblical commentator, listen to what he says. This metaphor that we just talked about, the metaphor implies that a great deal of effort and sacrifice must be expended to get it, whatever this thing is. Whatever it is, we got to expend a lot, a lot of energies getting this, okay? And so what does the author of Proverbs want us to dig for? What is the book of Proverbs all about? It's about wisdom. It's all about wisdom. Um, look at what Bruce Waukee goes on to say, right? Um, he, he's talking about this verse here. 
he says this phrase that then you will understand, right? You will understand means to see insightfully through the senses and with understanding. This insight includes knowing what is right and just and fair, wisdom and patience and keeping the teaching. In other words, let me, let me put it like this. I think what the, what the wisdom writer really wants us to dig for is not only wisdom, but he wants us to dig for character. He wants us to be formed as people. Instead of focusing on the external realities, focus in on who you are becoming. Instead of building wealth around you, right, these are, these are things that will go away, focus on things that will never go away, which are character, which are internal qualities. He's saying dig, seek, work really hard, not for the treasures of this earth, but seek wisdom, obedience to the word of God, seek character, integrity, work hard for these things. Are you working hard to acquire the dream of silver and fame, or are you working really hard to get the treasure of wisdom and character? Um, I, I, I referenced this book a while ago, but uh, there was a book written by uh, David Brooks called The Road to Character. It's a fantastic book. I really highly recommend it to all of you. Uh, David Brooks, I, I believe, recently converted to Christianity, but when he wrote this book, was not a Christian. Uh, but in the introduction of his book, he talks about two types of virtues. He talks about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Uh, and resume virtues are things that you find on your resume, skills, right? Uh, computing, uh, working hard, right? Uh, promotions, those kinds of things. That's resume virtues. But then he says there are eulogy virtues, which are virtues that you find at somebody's eulogy, right? Things like bravery, kindness, honesty, and faithfulness. These are eulogy virtues. And every single person in this room, uh, even across America, would say that eulogy virtues are far more important than resume virtues. Everyone would agree with that because eulogy virtues are so much deeper. And yet he goes on to say, why, why don't we work on these things then? In fact, let me ask you this question right now. Do you know how to cultivate your eulogy virtues? Do you know how to? The fact that we can't express how to do this like, means that we've never worked on this. If I were to ask you how do you get a job promotion, I, I know that you, you guys would be able to tell me. Be skilled in your craft, work really hard, stay late hours, like work overtime, impress your boss, right? These are the things that you would name to me. And yet if I were to tell you how, did you how do you develop your wisdom and your character, including myself, we'd be silent. We don't even know how. We don't even know where to begin because we've never worked on these things. Later in his introduction, David Brooks talks about two Adams, Adam 1 and Adam 2. And Adam 1 is career-oriented, ambitious. Uh, Adam 1 is all about the external resume qualities. And he says there's another Adam, Adam 2. And he says Adam 2 wants to embody certain moral qualities. Adam 2 has a sense of right and wrong, right? And he says, we develop Adam 1, but we don't develop Adam 2. And listen to what he goes on to say. Adam 1, which is the resume virtues, and Adam 2, which are the eulogy virtues, live by different logics. Adam 1, the creating, building, and discovering Adam, lives by straightforward utilitarian logic. It's the logic of economics. Input leads to output. Effort leads to reward. Practice makes perfect. Pursue self-interest. Maximize your utility. Impress the world. We all know how to do that. Adam 2, eulogy virtues live by an inverse logic. It's a moral logic, not an economic one. You have to give to receive. You have to surrender to something outside yourself to gain strength within yourself. You have to conquer your desire to get what you crave. Success leads to the greatest failure, which is pride. And failure leads to the greatest success, which is humility and learning. In order to fulfill yourself, you have to forget yourself. In order to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. Do you see that? 
This is why Adam 1 and Adam 2 are opposed to each other. This is why if you focus in on character and wisdom and building that in your life and you make that the sole goal of your life, I'm telling you, you will never be as rich and as famous as you'd like to be. You will never. Because Adam 1 and Adam 2 live by inverse logics. You have to give away to be successful with Adam 2. You have to take and crave and hoard with Adam 1. If you're interested in building character, you will never be as rich or as famous as, poss- as, as you'd like to be. Look, if you want to become powerful in this world, if you want to become successfully outwardly powerful, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot pursue character building. But if you want to pursue character, you will never be as powerful as you'd like to be. Let's, lead, let, let's move on to our third and final point, how to become successful. So we defined, okay, what is the success that the world tells us? And what is the success that the Bible tells us? And now let's move on to how do we become successful. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 29, and then chapter 1, verse 31. These are the kind of the same, these are the same Proverbs. I just skipped over verse 30, okay? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Do you see what these verses are saying? It's saying this. Uh, if you eat a good, delicious fruit, it's because you chose to eat it. If you're eating a fruit, it's very common sense, right? If you're eating a fruit that tastes good, it's because you chose to eat it. If you're eating a fruit filled with worms, well, it's because no one forced you to eat it. You ate it. Like, you chose to eat it. Look, if you are joyless, okay, if, you're, if you are joyless in your life, uh, you are a person and you're, you're a person without character or integrity. If you don't have patience, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it's because you've chosen that lifestyle for yourself. You've chosen to work on these qualities of resume virtues. You've chosen to neglect your internal life and focus it on the external life. You've chosen the path to walk on, and you're eating the fruit of that path you're walking on. Look, if you've chosen to pursue the resume virtues over against the eulogy virtues, guess what you've chosen to pursue? You've chosen to pursue external success, not internal success. You've, You've chosen to pursue things like fame and glory and money rather than things like character and wisdom. And so let me ask you this. Why are you so surprised that you don't have joy in your internal life when you never work on it? Why are you so surprised that you don't have joy? Like, why are you so surprised that you have more money than you've ever had in your life and you still have no joy? You've chosen to make money and fame the end goal of your life and this is what it produces. Are you happy with it? Are you satisfied with it? It produces a hunger that never goes away. It produces an insatiable appetite for more and more. It produces a person who will work and work and work and never rest and worship. It produces a person who neglects their kids, their husbands, their wives. It produces these kinds of people. And you're simply eating the fruit of your path that you've chosen. Friends, I'm telling you that, look, if you want to see joy in your life, if you want to see satisfaction, if you want to see these kinds of fruits born out in your life, Choose a different path to walk on. You've chosen. We've chosen as a society to walk this American dream life and look at what it's producing in us. We're not even satisfied with our own work. I talked about this at our prayer service last, uh, yesterday morning, but the, 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 the statistic that's out there is that only like 40% of people in the U.S. are satisfied with their work. Only 40% of people are satisfied with their work, even though we have more options than ever. You have so many options. You know how you got a job back in the day? Is your dad was a carpenter and then you became a carpenter. Your dad was a farmer, you became a farmer. Your dad was an accountant, you became an accountant. We can choose our jobs and we're still unhappy. Let me summarize the whole book of Proverbs for you. Will you choose to be wise or a fool? 
you know, Dominic Hernandez, he wrote this little short book on the book of Proverbs, and um, he's a seminary professor over at Southern Baptist Theological, and I, I really like his book. Listen to what he says. Uh, the way of wisdom based upon the fear of the Lord is depicted as leading to a life that reflects a true understanding of the surrounding world. On the contrary, the way of wrongdoing leads to foolish behavior and brings about imprudent people's eventual downfall by, by way of their own devices. This clear-cut disparity in life trajectories uh, characterized in Proverbs has withstood the test of time and continues to challenge us as we encounter the book. Thousands of years after Proverbs was written, we're still immediately confronted with the same fundamental question concerning our own life trajectory as we come to the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Which path will I take? The fool says, I'm going to pursue worldly success, worldly gain, money, fame. It will never quench my appetite, but I'm going to choose that path, and I'm going to walk down it. Or are you going to choose the, the path of the wise? The path that says, I'm going to work on my internal character. I'm going to work on wisdom. I'm going to work on character. These are the things that I'm going to pursue. How do we get wisdom? How do we begin this journey of growing in character? This leads us to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is ultimately the beginning of all wisdom. If you want to start getting wiser, if you want to build your character, it begins with the knowledge of God. It begins with fearing God. What that means is this. Don't fear for your financial security. Fear God. Make all your choices knowing that God is the one you fear, not money. Right? Are you going to cheat? Are you going to lie? Are you going to manipulate and steal so that you can secure yourself financially because you fear money? Or are you going to live a God-honoring, character, integrity-filled life and, and walk a path of morality and maybe not make as much money, but it doesn't matter to you because you fear God. You fear what God thinks about you, not what money thinks about you. Right? Will, will, will you consider how people and, and, and find your acceptance in people and what they think of you? Or will you find your acceptance in God? Will you fear God? Do you see that? Do you fear money or people or do you fear God himself? Who do you fear? In other words, here's another way to put it. Is your life radically God-centered? When you center your devotion and your love around God and his glory, you will see your character manifest. You won't care what people think about you. When you have to share your faith to other people, you're not going to be embarrassed because of what people will say about you. You will share your faith with confidence because you're not afraid of people. You're afraid of God. You understand that you won't have to stand before the judgment throne before people, but you will stand before the judgment throne of God himself. You find your acceptance and your glory in God, not in people or in money. This is what it means to, be, to fear God. This is what it means to have wisdom fe uh, beginning with the fear of the Lord. Look at, look at what Dominic Hernandez goes on to say. The primary way in which people who fear the Lord bear witness that they are walking with the Lord is through consistent God-honoring conduct. Proverbs is filled with conventional adages illustrating what fearing the Lord generally looks like in the lives of those who have chosen this path or this trajectory. Friends, do you fear God? Do we fear God? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't fear God. I fear you all more. I do. I, I'm like, I, I got to say things that will make you guys happy. I don't want to get emails. <laughs> I don't want to get emails that say, hey, Eric, why did you say that? I, I want emails that say, hey, great sermon. I want, those, I want those emails. And yet, even for me, I have to focus on who do I fear? Do I fear people? Do I fear money? Or do I fear God himself? I want you to look ultimately what Colossians says about this wisdom issue. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, verse, uh, two to 3 says this. 
that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. You see that? Assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Ultimately, if you want to know wisdom, if you want to fear the Lord, you look at Christ. If you want to know what true wisdom looks like, you look at Christ. And here's why. Because Jesus Christ reveals God to us. And God himself is wisdom. The Gospel of John says that if we've seen Christ, we've seen the Father. When we look upon Christ, what do we see? We see the revealed character of God. And what do we see? We see that God doesn't care about external appearances. He doesn't care about power. God doesn't care about those. What God cares about, what, what we see in Christ Jesus was God was gloriously beautiful, powerful, and mighty, and yet we see him come as a humble carpenter. He didn't care about the external successes of life. He came as a humble carpenter, and look at what Isaiah 53, 2 says. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was detestable. He was like, if, if he came into our, if Jesus Christ came into our church, we'd be like, who is this guy? He had no form, no majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And at, at the same time, Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us of our penalties. And listen to what Isaiah 53 goes on to say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins, our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we center our lives upon. It's not a wrathful God. It's not a God who comes, but rather it's a God who comes as a servant and dies for us on a cross. At the same time, what Colossians is telling us, not only does Christ reveal himself as God to us, but Christ himself is wisdom himself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You understand what... Paul says this, right? Do you understand that Christ was foolish to this world? It was foolish. Christ was, to the Greeks, they thought it was foolish. Like, why would you come as a carpenter? Like, why would a God come as a carpenter and then die the death of, the, death of a criminal? To the Jews, they thought they were going to worship a king, a Messiah king. And he was foolishness to the Jews. He was, a fool, he was foolish to everyone, and yet he was wise. And that was wisdom itself. You want wisdom? Seek Christ. It was the inverse logic of everything, Right? Christ was powerful, glorious, mighty, and yet he gave it all up to die on a cross for us as sinners. This is wisdom. Seek Christ if you want to be radically God-centered and know God with all of your might. This is what I love about wisdom, friends. Wisdom is not conceptual. It's practical. Wisdom is not just knowledge. It's about applying it. And what the scriptures tell us is, look, if you want wisdom, like, we'll make it as practical as possible for you. Like, just seek a relationship. You know how to do that. You know how to build relationships, right? Just seek Christ. And if you seek Christ, you'll gain wisdom. Pursue him. And I'm telling you, if you make the pursuit Christ, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. Let me just end with this quick story, but... Um, I've told this before, but my wife and I struggled with our initial pregnancies. We have two wonderful, beautiful boys now, but initially we struggled a lot. Uh, our first pregnancy ended with a miscarriage, and then our second pregnancy went further along. The first pregnancy went till about six weeks, and then the second pregnancy went almost till about 10 weeks. And at 10 weeks, we lost, uh, we lost the, the pregnancy. We lost the child. And I remember uh, after the second pregnancy, my wife and I were just devastated. We were just... Uh, uh, just really, really sad. And so what we did is I, I just said, hey, I'm going to just put ministry on pause. Let's take a vacation. I took her to um, San Diego. At the time, we lived in Los Angeles. We drove down to San Diego. 
I, I rented out a room at the Four Seasons Hotel, the best you know, hotel in, in all of Los Angeles or all of San Diego, if you would. Uh, and it look, overlooked the water. It was beautiful, right? Beautiful room. We ate the best food in all the world. Uh, you know, we went to San Diego, ate fish tacos, ate regular tacos, ate, uh, you know, all sorts of delicious food. Uh, we rented out a beautiful car. We went to the most beautiful beaches. We saw the most beautiful sights, and yet we were empty inside. None of those things, none of the things of this world could, could fill us up ever. And yet, just two years later, our, our, our first son, Josiah, was being born. And we were in the dinkiest, smallest hospital room with eating cafeteria food, and our view was the freeway. And I can't tell you how much joy we had sitting in that room. And do you know why? It's because, it's not because we had external success, success but it's because we found the person. We found the relationship. Our son was being born and we, get to, we, we got to be in relationship with him. And because of this, even though we didn't have the greatest food, the greatest room, the greatest view, it didn't matter. We were so satisfied and filled. Why? Because we got to meet a person. And in the same way, Christ says the same thing. Look, why do you keep looking for these things? These things will never satisfy you. Come look at me. Come seek me. Come seek a relationship with me. And what you'll find is this beautiful acceptance that you're a sinner, that you, that you did all the wrong things, and yet you find forgiveness in Christ Jesus because he paid it all for us, friends. And if that's the kind of God we worship, I'm telling you the kind of fulfillment, love, and satisfaction that we will find in him, friends, is un, it, the, the world can never match that. The world will never be able to satisfy like Christ satisfies you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'll be the first to say, Lord, that for me, oftentimes, Lord, I pursue material success. Even this past week, I was re reading Romans 8, Lord, and just reminded that we have to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. And Lord, I, I ask you, Lord, that you would help us, help us as a church, Lord, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, things like character and wisdom, love and grace. Lord, that we'd be a, that we'd be a people and a church, Lord, that would be absolutely devoted, Lord, to seeking you, to seeking your treasure, to seeking your silver, Lord, may we not seek the treasures of this earth, but may we seek you all the days of our life. And Lord, would you honor that? Would you honor our work, Lord? Would you honor our work to be successful in the way that you've de defined it? And Lord, may we give all honor, glory, and praise in our lives to you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.